I'm very worried that I am going to lose a bet that I made with Evan Silva over the summer. Things are trending in the wrong direction as it relates to Joseph Randall and Ruben Randall. These are two players that are heading in opposite directions, unfortunately. Now, I'm not sure what direction Joseph Randall's headed in. We only have reports, and I, I'm, I'm cautious about reading too much into these reports. We'll talk about that in a little bit on today's show, what to make of Joseph Randall versus Darren McFadden. But the bigger news is that Victor Cruz is going to miss at least four weeks with a strained calf. It's not even about the torn patella that he's been rehabbing and, and healing. It's a calf injury now. This is a problem for me because I have a side bet with Evan Silva from Roto World, the football editor from Roto World, Evan Silva. He, he and I made a bet. It was a Randall-based bet. It was Randall versus Randall. If Ruben Randall scores more fantasy points this year in PPR, then I have to do a show, do a podcast, host a podcast from my house, naked, sitting in a plate of marshmallows and honey. That's the... Those are the stakes with Evan Silva. Oh, no. I don't want... Oh, that's going to be so uncomfortable. When I sat down to do the show today, I thought about that. I was like, wow, what if I lose that bet with Evan Silva? One of these shows I'm going to have to do naked, sitting in marshmallows and honey. And, and at the time, I was just trying to think of something really uncomfortable and really icky and gooey. And it was in the abstract, and I hadn't really considered it. I hadn't... First of all, I didn't think there was any way, any remote possibility that Ruben Randall could outscore Joseph Randall this year. As if. You know Joseph Randall's going to be the starting running back for the Dallas Cowboys, one of the top offenses in the league and the best offensive line in the league. What running back couldn't outscore Ruben Randall in that situation? Well, I don't know. <laughs> maybe if Victor Cruz doesn't really play this year. Maybe if he comes back later in the season and isn't effective and Ruben Randall is the de facto number two receiver, and defenses are are skewing their defensive tactics toward Odell Beckham, trying to stop Odell Beckham, double-teaming Odell Beckham, and letting Ruben Randall beat them. If that's the, the overarching pass-defense strategy of the defenses that will be playing the New York Giants this year, then I'm in trouble. It's a situation-based sport, fantasy football. I'd love to think that the most talented guys are the ones that are out there scoring the most fantasy points, and that's just not true. We talk about that all the time. Ruben Randall has found himself in one of the better number two receiving chairs in the National Football League. On the flip side, Joseph Randall, well, there are conflicting reports. We'll just say that out of Dallas, who the starting running back is actually going to be, and that worries me. I know I normally say, hey, just look at the depth chart and cancel out the noise and you'll make better fantasy football decisions when you do that, when you simplify things, when you don't overthink things. But the the volume has been turned up in Dallas surrounding the running back position. The number of beat reporters that insist that Darren McFadden will outtouch Joseph Randall is starting to worry me. I mean, I I am not one of these people that just practices just cognitive dissonance, ignores new information. I have to review the information that comes in and decide, think comprehensively and decide, is this worth my time? Is this something that has a predictive quality to it? Is this something I should be factoring in to my player rankings, for example, in my analysis? Some things I don't. Some things I think are just are trivial or speculative, and it's just you know one lone beat reporter 
freelancing, right? But in this case, it's just there's, there's a lot. It's just a lot of noise, and it's starting to impact how I view Joseph Randall, and it's unfortunate. It really is. It's bumming me out. Because if I won the bet with Evan Silva, I was going to take over Evan Silva's Twitter account and change his name on Twitter to whatever I wanted. That was going to be great. He has almost 100,000 followers. We were going to make a huge impact. We were going to poop all over Evan Silva's Twitter account. It was going to be epic. I thought it was a, a slam dunk. I thought it was a layup. I, I had locked that one in. I slept soundly at night knowing I was going to take over Evan Silva's Twitter and enhance my profile. Yes, oh yes. Build my profile. Get more exposure. Yes, 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 yes. But now, eh, damn it. Victor Cruz. Damn it. Darren McFadden. Damn it. Can't believe I'm saying this. Darren McFadden and Victor Cruz. <laughs> it's true. Darren McFadden. Ugh. Causing me ugh, indigestion. But the swirl around the Cowboys, that's interesting to me. Is, is how the Cowboys regard Darren McFadden and Joseph Randall. It's not Kristen Michael, but that's all we heard this weekend, this past weekend. I was on vacation, went to Mexico with my, with my wife, went to a birthday party. Someone had their 40th birthday and decided that they were going to throw a party in Cancun at an all-inclusive resort, and we said, we're there. Good timing. All the preseason games are over. The season hasn't started. It's a lull. I thought, wow, it's a good time I can get away. Nice little lull. Yeah. <laughs> Won't even need to log on to Twitter. Nah, mm, be fine. Sure, no problem. No one will miss me. There's not going to be any impactful news that happens over Labor Day. Please. Some veteran signs with some team after he was cut. Big deal. Some team trades a player they were about to cut for a conditional seventh round pick. <laughs> Why would I care about that? That doesn't move the needle at all. It never does. Why would it? Well, well. <laughs> If it's Kristen Michael getting traded for a conditional seventh rounder, oh yes, you're going to hear about it. You won't be able to have a conversation about any other player except Kristen Michael for a period of 48 hours. And if you want to have a conversation with anyone about any player and you're not talking about Kristen Michael, you better be talking about James Jones. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and James Jones, right. Woo, yeah, so that that's sort of derailed my vacation made it a little harder to relax knowing that this these noise clouds were 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 over my head and just raining poop on my head just raining poop don't tell fantasy mansion poop 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 splatter 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 how's your joseph randall prediction look now fantasy mansion poop poop splatter splatter oh jeff janis what is he now the number five receiver is he on the practice squad yet is he gonna make the roster Poop, poop, splatter, splatter. I hate you all. I hate you all. Everyone. Actually, I love you all. I love this audience. Best audience ever, but I hate you. Still, I hate you. I love you. Hate you. I know what you're thinking. I know. I know. I know. Those aren't the normal buzzards that were defecating on my Twitter timeline regarding Kristen Michael and James Jones. The listeners of this show know better than to do that. They already know that the Kristen Michael signing doesn't move the needle, and shouldn't, but it does anyway, so you can just ignore it. And they know what James Jones is. They know that in the long run, James Jones is not a threat to Jeff Janis. Of course not. Listeners know that. But there were a lot of news items I wanted to talk about and I couldn't talk about, and it, it, was, it, was, it bothered me over the weekend. I'd love to talk about Dan Heron. 
on yesterday's show, the Football Diehard show that I that I do, the podcast, go ahead and, and search on iTunes or Stitcher for Football Diehards with Matt Kelly. You can subscribe to that show too. Talked about Dan Heron and and how much I wanted to t- how much I wanted to talk about Dan Heron. I found the Dan Heron story interesting. How did it come to be that he got hurt and sent to IR? Can you believe Jonas Gray was cut? I know that we knew he was rehabbing from a torn patella and no one's ever come back 100% from a torn patella, but Victor Cruz not playing for the first four games, that's a big deal. Todd Gurley not playing in the month of September, that's a huge deal. Michael Floyd, he broke his hand and the bones were sticking out of the top of his hand and he might play in week one. Trey Mason's a game-time decision. Brashad Perriman may not play this, this year. Would it surprise anyone if you found out, like you found out with Kevin White, that Brashad Perriman has opted for surgery on his knee and he won't play in 2015? How many people would that surprise? I hope the answer is zero. No timetable for his return. Lots of news items have come out and lots of impact on people's rosters. Dynasty, redraft, even daily fantasy for week one. Things that will impact it. All happened in the last seven days. But no one's talking about any of that. Everyone only wants to talk about Kristen Michael and James Jones. And it's maddening to me. It's maddening. In week one, I thought Jonas Gray was going to be a top 15 running back. Cut. Cut. Dan Heron for the full season. I had him as a top 40 running back in the NFL. Hurt. Sent to IR. Cut. Whatever you want to call it. Those are impactful events. Instead, it, it's all about Kristen Michael. It's all yeah. It's all about Kristen Michael. And to summarize, and again, I I talked about Kristen Michael at length on the Football Die Hard show yesterday. I don't want to, for those of you that listen to both shows, I'm not going to regurgitate everything I just said. That would be like me regurgitating my own highlights and you listening to highlights that are a little bit different. Like watching a sports center that wasn't taped, but it's the same hosts going through the same highlights, almost the same exact script, just a, a, a little difference here and there with their delivery. Yeah, right. That's that sounds like that sounds like compelling radio. Yeah, we should do that. No, no. My my long version of my Kristen Michael take is available on the Football Diehards. You can also go to footballdiehards.com and click on the podcast section and you can download it there. So there's lots of ways you can get that that show. But it, basically, high level, Kristen Michael since high school has never demonstrated dominance on the football field at the running back position. He's never been a workhorse bell cow running back in college or the pros and he hasn't been able to to ascend any depth chart that's been presented to him at texas a&m he couldn't beat out ben molina and cyrus gray to take over as the every down running back in seattle he couldn't beat out robert turbin for multiple years and then this year he couldn't beat out thomas rawls so that's a problem that's a problem it leads to Kristen Michael having no statistics at the professional level for two straight years. And it also leads to Kristen Michael going back even further, only posting a 14%, 11th percentile college dominator rating. That's why we have the dominator rating. Why would we have it? What's the point of having the dominator rating if not to reveal the fact that Kristen Michael isn't particularly good at football? That Kristen Michael has a 147.4 99th percentile spark score. That he is one of the most sublime athletes at the running back position that we have at the NFL level. And yet, he there is a short-circuiting that is going on with Kristen Michael. Whether it's instinctual, whether it's mental, we don't know what it is. But 
when it comes to being a part of an NFL franchise, being a trusted contributor and someone who goes out and, and produces above replacement, he has failed. He has failed to do that at the college level, failed to do that at the professional level. It's failed. And again, I don't know why. Someone that has 97th percentile burst, 98th percentile agility, can bench, bench press 225 pounds 27 times, and you can go look at the highlights, the GIFs and, and the YouTube clips of Kristen Michael. Spin moves, hurdles, lots of evaded tackles, exciting long runs in preseason or in the fourth quarter when Seattle's up 30. Understood, understood. But still, you, you see those runs, you see those highlights, you see these measurables, and, and you can't help but wonder, wow, wouldn't it be nice to see this guy be a starter, get every down touches, be the team's main primary running back? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be exciting? And yes, it, it would be. You would get excited. You would run out to the waiver wire and pick him up. Absolutely. You would invest at least 10% of your fab budget on this player. Yes. Yes. If the college dominator didn't exist, if we didn't have the metric, that's fine. But we have the metric. Why didn't we do the metric? Do you realize how much time it took to go get the college dominator rating for every running back in the NFL? It took hours and hours and hours and hours. Not just me. Lots of people invested time on playerprofiler.com to compile the college dominator rating. Why? So you can ignore it arbitrarily just because on this one player that happens to be more exciting than other players athletically? No, this, this is the reason it exists. It exists just stop you from making idiotic decisions and dropping a good player to pick up a bad player in Kristen Michael. It's the reason the Dominator rating is posted, okay? Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to be arbitrary and say, well, we'll pay attention to that metric unless the player's really exciting, then you can go through this exercise over and over and over and over again. You could go through this exercise with Jarrett Boinkin last year. Hey, he's got great hands. We're really excited about what he did at Virginia Tech. We're going to go ahead and throw out the 40 time. And we, you just go down through every player and just throw out metrics you don't like because you're excited about them for some reason. And then what? It nullifies the utility of playerprofiler.com when you do that. You either look at the college dominator and realize it's hugely predictive of future performance at the NFL level. Acknowledge that and use that as part of your player evaluation methodology consistently or you don't use the site at all. That's what I'm saying. That's what's maddening to me about this Kristen Michael nonsense. It's nonsense. Yes, it's true. He could go out and be this crazy outlier where he, for four years at Texas A&M, four years, he wasn't able to assume bell cow duties. Yes. And for two and a half years in Seattle, he couldn't get past Robert Turbin. And now Thomas Rawls. Yes, I understand. It's possible. Yes, it, it could happen. Comets can come in and, uh, and, and, and collide with another comet it, once every three billion years in our, in our solar system and create some you know, light show in the sky. And we're all in awe and we'll never see it again. Yes, outliers could happen. There is a non-zero chance that Kristen Michael will be good. Yes, I know that. But 
We're always playing probabilities. Probabilities defining possibilities. Probabilities driving our decision-making process. And if you acknowledge the probability that Kristen Michael will be a fantasy-relevant running back is relatively low, then we can just stop talking about him! Just, then we can stop talking about him, and we can talk about anybody else. Like Brandon Bolden. Brandon Bolden, because of the the waving of Jonas Gray, Brandon Bolden is trending toward being the Patriots' starting running back. Being there between the tackles grinder in week one and having a role in the passing game because he's also shown, demonstrated, that he's, a, he's an adequate receiver. So Brandon Bolden could have a bigger role in week one than LeGarrette Blunt had at any point in 2014. That's interesting. That's a guy that you could stream. That's a guy you can flex. That's a flex tactic. Flex tactic. That's a flex... Can I say this word? That's a flex-tastic. Yeah, there we go. That's a flex-tastic situation. Maybe. It's at least relevant. It's at least interesting. It's at least a player that you could think about and do research on and have conversations about who could impact your fantasy team in a positive way. Kristen Michael will be the number four running back for the Dallas Cowboys in week one and probably won't dress. And what? What? But it's not about just the fact. One of the things I've heard about Kristen Michael, I want to be careful. Just because he couldn't beat out Thomas Rawls doesn't mean he can't play. You know, One depth chart decision by a team does not doom a player. We've talked about this with Charles Johnson and many, many other cases. The problem with Kristen Michael is it's been going on for seven years that he's been unable to usurp the guy ahead of him in a full and complete way. And that, to me, is a huge concern. It's a giant red flag, and it is encapsulated in Kristen Michael's 11th percentile college dominator rating. And that's what's interesting about this. What what also drives me crazy is that people can't understand why I don't like Kristen Michael. Why don't you like Kristen Michael? Your fantasy mansion. Why don't you like Kristen Michael? Isn't your site playerprofiler.com? I thought all you cared about was athleticism. Why don't you like Kristen Michael? That doesn't make sense. You should love Kristen Michael. Are you some kind of fraud? You only talk about athleticism when it's convenient, when you like a player? For whatever irrational reason, you don't like Kristen Michael and therefore you're ignoring his athleticism? Do you not have a consistent way of evaluating players? Don't you always care almost exclusively about their athleticism? No. 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 That's what I get hit by all the time. Go to YouTube. Roto Underworld Radio has a YouTube channel. And the most popular YouTube clip that we have, we, we put our highlight clips on YouTube from the show. The YouTube clip that has been getting the most traffic, has the most hits, is yeah, but Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman, he's a fantastic running back. He's a pleasure to watch. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. That's me doing highlights of a previous show. That's going to be the theme of this show, is me doing highlights and regurgitating previous shows. Long runs are bad. Short runs, good. Long runs, bad. Short runs, good. Long touchdown, bad. Short touchdown, good. <laughs> right? So that has like 5,000 hits or something insane. It went viral with Falcons fans. I don't know. The comments on all these highlights and the comments I receive as a furnace blast on Twitter on a daily basis are, there's more to player evaluation than just 40 time. There's more to player evaluation than just their combine metrics. There's more to player evaluation than just spark score. All you care about is athleticism. 
You're just one of these tunnel-visioned, irrational athleticism snobs. That's the criticism I get hit by. More than any other, by far and away. That's what people think about me. And then these same people are touting Kristen Michael, and it just drives me insane! Because I'm not an athleticism snob! I'm not! I'm not! I'm not! I am a talent snob! There is a difference! There's so many athletes in the world who can go run the three-cone drill in the 20-yard shuttle and post a 1071 agility score like Kristen Michael did. And most of them are not football players. And if you dropped most of those players on football teams or most of those athletes on football fields, they would stink. They wouldn't be any good. They would post yards per carries under one. Because agility score matters in the context of someone being a good football player. But if, if you have to start by being a productive football player. And when we're projecting who's going to be a good football player at the NFL level, it starts with, did this guy demonstrate a the ability to achieve a bell cow role in college? Was he a workhorse at the college level? If so, now let's start looking at some other things. How agile is this guy? What's his burst look like? How strong is he? So on and so on. But if we can't start with, hey, this guy was productive in college. This guy was a bell cow in college. What are we talking about? Why are we talking about him? Then he's just another guy who runs track and can post a super fast agility score. And what? He's not a football player. It's a difference. The most important metric when you're evaluating incoming prospects to the NFL on playerprofiler.com is college dominator, which has nothing to do with athleticism. Yet I get hit with this you're an athleticism snob. You only look at athleticism. And then people come back at me and say, well, you're wrong about Kristen Michael, too. And it's just like, my face and my head are just shrinking and shriveling into like a little raisin. What do I say to that? You're a moron. You don't know what you're talking about. You're mischaracterizing me. And you don't know how to evaluate NFL players. The real, and this is unfortunate, the real threat to Joseph Randall is Darren McFadden. But I'm still bullish on Joseph Randall. He's still in my top 25 running backs for week one. And that's because let's just take a quick tour through the, the Darren McFadden profile on playerprofiler.com. Now, Darren McFadden, we know, athleticism, 4-3-3-40 many moons ago, many lower body injuries ago. So... Fantastic running back. But interestingly, at Arkansas, only had 5.6 yards per carry. So even in the college level, when he was running a 4-3-3, wasn't that special. Remember, Tevin Coleman, yards per carry, 7.3. So almost two yards per carry more from Tevin Coleman than Darren McFadden. Darren McFadden's the guy people like to compare Tevin Coleman to. So his measurables are good. His on-field efficiency is the worst. I mean... Let's look, go back through year by year. 2012, played 12 games, 3.3 yards per carry. 2013, he played 10 games, 3.3 yards per carry. 2014, played 16 games, 3.4 yards per carry. So what are we talking about here? Why are we worried about Darren McFadden? I'm not particularly worried about Darren McFadden usurping Joseph Randall over the long run. Joseph Randall is a top 20 back in our season full season rankings absolutely and that's not changing at all 
the noise that we're hearing around Derek McFadden possibly starting in week one, that doesn't dent the Joseph Randall full season ranks, but it does dent his week one ranks. There's a difference. There's a huge difference between what happens in week one and what happens for the full season. I mean, how many examples do we have to give of players that didn't even play in week one and going out and having fantasy relevant seasons? Even the, the darling of fantasy football right now, Devontae Adams. Remember, he didn't really play in week one last year. They played Jarrett Boykin, and then they realized, wow, Jarrett Boykin's really slow, and he doesn't give us the best chance to win. In week two, we're going to start playing Devontae Adams more snaps. And then in week two, Devontae Adams started accumulating targets and receptions and went on to have a mildly productive, hugely inefficient season. But no, you were never, there was never a consideration to start Devontae Adams in week one, Daily Fantasy. That wouldn't have made sense because he wasn't playing in week one. Joseph Randall at least is going to play in week one. Is Joseph Randall going to be the starter? I don't know. Is he the starter? He's not the starter. He's the starter. He's not the starter. He's the starter. He's not the starter. On the official depth chart, Joseph Randall is the starter for the Cowboys. But then the beat reporters who are talking to Jerry Jones are saying, nah, he's not the starter. They want, they want Darren McFadden. This sounds like classic. If I had to read the tea leaves on this one, it sounds like classic owner intervention. Jerry Jones is meddling with the depth chart, as is his right as an owner. I would if I were an owner. I'd, he needs to let the football people do the football things. He needs to just step aside. He's the general manager and the owner. Let the coach on the field decide who starts. No. No, I wouldn't. No. I, if I were the owner of a team, I would be coaching the team. I would be setting the depth chart. I would be drafting all the players. Of course. So, yeah, it's his right. He can do that. And it makes sense. Darren McFadden went to his alma mater. Darren McFadden went to Arkansas. Jerry Jones graduated from Arkansas. They brought in Darren McFadden because Jerry Jones has always had an affinity for Darren McFadden. So Jerry Jones now wants to give Darren McFadden an opportunity because he likes the guy. And he's the owner and he can do that. But what happens in week one will help determine who gets touches in week two. And all else being equal, when you hand the ball to either Joseph Randall or Darren McFadden, Joseph Randall can do a lot more with it. Joseph Randall is now faster, burstier, more agile at this point in his career than Darren McFadden is. And Darren McFadden has showed it to you over and over and over and over again for three consecutive years of league bottom efficiency. So we know what Darren McFadden is. He's done. It's over. They might start him in week one to the detriment of the team, but then it'll quickly be revealed that he's not as good as Joseph Randall, and then Joseph Randall will start to get more touches in week two and beyond. That's the difference between projecting for a full season and projecting for week one. I see this all the time, the, the, this super rudimentary projections for a full season. Well, we're going to take the depth chart in week one, and then we're going to project no change to the depth chart for the entire season, and then we're going to run our projection model. There you go. In 2014, we had... Jarrett Boykin as the number 38 receiver in fantasy. No! When you're running your full season projections, you have to imagine that the depth chart will change over time, and then you have to use your mind and think critically about and creatively about how depth charts will change as the season goes on. Will the, the, the pecking order coalesce? Like he did last year in Dallas last year, the pecking order coalesced. DeMarco Murray was the number one running back on the depth chart. 
Other running backs like Joseph Randall and Lance Dunbar were below DeMarco Murray. And instead of flailing, DeMarco Murray thrived as the number one running back and the depth chart coalesced. If DeMarco Murray had fumbled multiple times in week one last year, if DeMarco Murray had left a lot of extra yards on the field, if he had looked out of his depth, if he had struggled in any way, then it would have allowed the coaching staff to, when they were installing the game plan for the next week, they would have changed the packages and they would have called more plays with Joseph Randall as the starting running back in the backfield. More plays designed to get Lance Dunbar the ball. But that's not what happened. DeMarco Murray was hugely successful and the depth chart coalesced. It didn't shift. On the other hand, in Green Bay, Jared Boykin failed, flailed, face-planted. And so they were forced to shift the depth chart. Now that's what you have to ask yourself. Is this depth chart going to shift or will it coalesce? And my opinion when I am running the numbers and, and, and creating my projection model for running back touches in Dallas, I believe that the depth chart will coalesce. I believe that right now the official depth chart for the Dallas Cowboys, whatever the beat reporters are saying through Jerry Jones, whoever is controlling that depth chart is not Jerry Jones. It's someone else. Who knows that Joseph Randall is a better running back than Darren McFadden. That's why Joseph Randall is the number one running back on the official Cowboys depth chart right now. And I believe that will I believe that Joseph Randall's hold on that number one RB position in the pecking order will only be strengthened over time as we get to see their on field performance play itself out over the course of week one, week two, week three, and so on. I believe this coming week, Joseph Randall is going to have an outstanding game against a bad defense. And he's going to carry that momentum over into the next game, into the next game. And then before you know it, you're looking at Joseph Randall and you're seeing an every week RB1 in fantasy. It's very easy to play that out in your mind. Use your imagination. Use what you know about the situation and what you know about the players. And create a projection that way. Instead of just taking a static snapshot from week one and just extrapolating it out to 16 games. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Why would you do that? But that's what people that are that are touting... James Jones are doing. Oh, James Jones is going to be the number three receiver in week one. Project that out. He'll be a top 50 receiver this year. No, he won't be. No, that's not true. And it's amazing to me, the amnesia around James Jones. Amazing. It's just amazing because James Jones, his reputation for eight years on the Packers was that he was the Packers least reliable, most inconsistent receiver. That was his reputation for eight years, and yet no one remembers this. I'm the only one remembering this. I'm shouting this at the hilltops. Wait a second, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. Does anyone hear me? Hello, 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 hello. Don't we remember the James Jones stinks? And the James Jones was a punchline for eight years? The James Jones wasn't just laughed at and criticized by people in the sports media and fans. He was also yelled at and criticized openly and publicly by Aaron Rodgers. There were stories that grabbed headlines of Aaron Rodgers yelling at James Jones on the sidelines. Aaron Rodgers holding his helmet, hands to his head, when James Jones would drop a critical pass. James Jones, you can imagine it. Close your eyes for a moment, and you can see in your mind's eye James Jones fumbling away what would otherwise be an easy touchdown pass from Aaron Rodgers. In the Super Bowl! Against the Steelers, he dropped a, 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 a pass where he was not only wide open, but he had plenty of room to run and, and gobble up yards after the catch, and it just skated through his hands. 
It was right at him. It was an otherwise very easy catch. If I did track drops on playerprofiler.com, as subjective as the drops metric is, the drop statistic is, <laughs> that was a drop by any anyone's opinion of that play. Subjective, objective, or however you want to categorize it, it was a drop. Drop. James Jones has been known as a stone-handed receiver who was only succeeding because he was suckling at the teat of Aaron Rodgers. This is a receiver who never eclipsed 817 yards in any given season. Never. How many 1,000-yard seasons does James Jones have on his resume? None. 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 At 817 yards, that's 183 yards away from 1,000. That's kind of far. He's at least two good games away from 1,000. Just not good. He's never been good. And yet, Aaron Rodgers trusts him? That's what we're hearing. Oh, the Green Bay sports media and the Green Bay media complex. Oh, yeah. They love James Jones. Oh, they tout James Jones. Oh, they're so fond of James Jones. There's so much nostalgia around James Jones and revisionist history and sports amnesia that it's like it's a totally different player. The player that gets talked about now, this James Jones person, the player that couldn't beat out Jeremy Davis or Dwayne Harris to be the number four receiver for the New York Giants. This player, the words that are being, I, I, I don't understand, I just, I'm, I'm speechless. Clearly, can you hear me? I'm speechless. I don't know. I can't, I don't have words. I don't have words to describe how confused I am because the descriptors that I'm reading around James Jones, it's just unbelievable. Now, am I surprised that James Jones went to the Packers? Absolutely not. The Packers lost Jordy Nelson. They had one player on the roster that we would consider a veteran and a bunch of other players that were either rookies or had almost no NFL experience. So any NFL GM is going to go out and, and sign a veteran receiver in that situation. No matter how much they liked or didn't like Ty Montgomery, Devontae Adams, and Jeff Janis, they were going to go out and sign a veteran receiver. Like, that was, a, that was an automatic. But this idea that James Jones threatens Ty Montgomery and Jeff Janis's long-term potential in Dynasty is ridiculous. So, no, this didn't move the needle in terms of where you would be drafting Jeff Janis or Ty Montgomery in Dynasty. Of course not. And it moves the needle less in redraft seat full season rankings than you might think. Because again, like the situation that I believe will unfold in Dallas, I think something similar will unfold in Green Bay. Something similar to what happened the previous year with Jarrett Boykin. That James Jones is going to go out there and he's going to fail. Because again, it wasn't just that the New York Giants evaluated him and said, yeah, this guy, he's, he's not worth keeping even at a veteran minimum salary. Now I get it. Dwayne Harris... He can play special teams, so that's valuable. I get it, sure, yes. Jeremy Davis, he's a young player that they like, has more long-run potential. Sure, I get it, but still, it's still Jeremy Davis and Dwayne Harris. It, come on, I mean, seriously. And then in Oakland, they didn't pick up his contract in Oakland and decided, yeah, we're going to roll with Michael Crabtree instead. We're going to give the money to Michael Crabtree instead. So this is, the, this is what we're talking about. This is a player where one team chose Michael Crabtree over him, another team chose... Jeremy Davis, and Dwayne Harris over him. And yet, the Green Bay sports media claims that Aaron Rodgers loves James Jones, and therefore they love James Jones. Because whatever Aaron Rodgers says, the sports media complex around Green Bay just parrots back. Oh, 
Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust Jeff Janis. Dude, Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust Jeff Janis. Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust Jeff Janis. Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust Jeff Janis. Jeff Janis can't learn the playbook. Jeff Janis doesn't know the plays. Jeff Janis is running the wrong routes. Oh, but they got James Jones. James Jones, he always runs the right routes. Oh, he's trustworthy. Jeff Janis body catches. Jeff Janis, he has small hands. James Jones never body catches. James Jones is a hands catcher. This is James Jones we're talking!